Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. My name is Ash Thorpe. This is going to be episode 82 with notorious blogger and rights activist, the visual effects soldier, also known as Daniel Lay, who joins us this week for an intense industry-based discussion. And over the course of our conversation, we discuss how chaotic and broken the visual effects industry has become over the past few years. Daniel gives a great breakdown of the issues being faced all across the world and proposes a few great worthwhile solutions. We also speak a bit about the tricky situation of rates and breaking into the industry as a student while retaining the respect and integrity that you deserve. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Sign up now at thecollectivepodcast.com slash audible for a free 30-day free trial and one free audiobook. This week, I highly recommend checking out any of Brian Tracy's books. Um, as you guys all know, I always bring up the book Eat That Frog. He has a bunch of other books as well. And they're just a really good source of inspiration, motivation. Um, They've really helped me out with just getting things done. Um, I'm really into books, as you guys know. But Brian Tracy's, most of his, all of his books, I think, are on Audible. So check it out. We'll have a link to that. Big thank you to Daniel for coming in, spending some of his time with us and sharing his thoughts and, 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 you know, trying to push forward and make a good change in the industry. This is going to be episode 82. Let's roll. finally meet you yeah nice to meet you digitally over the skype yeah (laughs) it's funny the use of the word meet when it when it's used in this context it's always interesting you know yeah yeah it's really different now these days i'm still trying to get used to that too whenever i have to uh let's say do a phone interview or anything like that so it's kind of unique but getting used to it you know so it's not bad yeah i think it's just part of the new way of being a human in this yeah. era i think mm-hmm. it's my brother said something kind of funny i think he's a little bit more old school but he's like your your friends aren't your friends unless you know that you smell you know the smell of their burps or something like that <laughs> it's like you know there's a there's a truth to that you know uh, well it's sort of interesting because uh given how the industry is right now in visual effects how people are having to move to these various locations you know uh you know one person brought this up like oh you know it, it shouldn't be no problem i mean you could communicate with your family through Skype and they're like do you want to raise your kids over Skype yeah like, dude come on now yeah it's like you know it's really funny <laughs> yeah really sad in a way you know but yeah there's some things that you just cannot do I mean we can have a fun intellectual conversation a stimulating one uh, oh, but you absolutely. cannot raise a child over Skype you know like that's if and, you, you can try, but it's very challenging. So, and, and you probably wouldn't want to, you know, for a lot of directors, these films are their babies, and they, a lot of them, don't want to raise, you know, make their film, you know, from far off places where they're just logging into Skype or something similar to that, and just making their movie over that way either. So that's sort of the discussion that usually uh, centers around, uh, you know, the globalization in the industry and the problems with that. But you know, those are one of those things. Yeah, there's so much stuff. I mean, um, this is really cool. I appreciate you taking the time to oh, talk with me and, and, and for all the listeners and stuff. I think that what you're doing is very interesting. I think that there's a lot to be said and learned uh, from both sides. I I know that there's a lot of people that listen to the collective um, in general uh, just interested in, in knowing that they're not alone. And I also think it's really important. I, the One of the big main reasons, and I've said it before, the one of the one of the big big main reasons I, I decided, all right, it's time to do this was after the um, the whole life of Pi and the rhythm and Hughes thing happened, and I was like, yeah. it's just kind of frustrated, and I just felt like, okay, I'm not going to just be the 
want the person that just changes their icon in Facebook to green, you know, like I'm going exactly. to, I'm going to be proactive about this and create a conduit of conversation and, and, uh, yeah, and, and you've been doing your blog for quite a long time now. Yeah, I think almost four years now. And I think, you know, it, it's funny you bring up the Life of Pi uh, situation because I think it hit a lot of, you know, creative people, you yeah. know, almost, almost where it hurts because we would all want to aspire to what Rhythm and Hughes ended up doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To have that success and then all of a sudden just find yourself collapsing. We're starting to see that happen a lot in the visual effects industry. And then for the broader creative industry of like, what does it mean to actually, you know, have a life working in the creative industry and how do you manage that at the same time and being successful and having a family? I think a lot of people want to have a career in this industry for that. And that's something my blog uh, talks a lot about. Yeah, there's so many things. I think yes. there's so many things. I, 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 I'm, I'm big on distilling. I like to distill like, okay, when I study something or I under, try to understand, perceive, understand the things that I'm studying, I always try to distill it to the main source, the core. And what I think is to, to really engage a possible change a men mentality, a change within uh, the system in which we work, I think it, it's really funny. I, I, I laugh and I tell my wife some of these, these things because it's ridiculous because she comes from a different industry. And I said, you know, like, can you imagine like a firefighter dealing with this kind of stuff? Oh, or yeah. Or yeah. a lawyer? No, yeah. fuck no. They don't allow this kind of stuff. You know, of get it. Not, but it, what's what's interesting, and I think what it is um, for me, because I, I'm I'm more of a, just a conceptual artist, uh, and I come up with ideas and 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 I execute them as designer and all that kind of stuff. And and I I'm a very I'm a kind of a particular case study because I'm kind of maybe a one percentile or something. Sure. Because I'm freelance, I just do whatever I want and kind of work from home and stuff. And But the, there's this interesting thing where I think that um, change comes from within the individual. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think if we can be a conduit of thought to help empower people, say, you know what, if, like, I just posted something up on my Twitter the other day. I said, if you you have to read NDAs and if, and if you can't, then hire a lawyer and exactly. and it's and it's a negotiation it's not like if you don't sign it then fuck off you know but i think it's also like a lot of desperation but at the same time like if you're if you're if you're in the industry and people are seeking you out like you owe it to the industry to like push against things like uh, one of the biggest problems i have is they're like okay you can do the work for us but you cannot show it mm -hmm. like what kind of crap is that so yeah, that's I, a, how do you get your next job yes you know? exactly thank you challenges uh, you know i've i've run into that problem all the time and I think one of the biggest problems I've learned working in the creative industry and especially the visual effects industry and this is what I think makes it so different as opposed to let's say a firefighter a lawyer attorney a, you know anybody who works in any other kind of professional uh, industry is that we have an incredible love for what we do we love the product yes, so it. much it defines us right so when we see Avengers on the screen you say that's a part of me yeah. when I go to a bar and I'm introducing myself to people I the first thing I tell them is that and so our ego is so ingrained in that that sometimes we're willing to sort of bypass sort of the basic things such as like you mentioned hiring a lawyer for your negotiations one of the most important things I ever did I've written about this on my blog was actually hiring a lawyer uh, Alex Andrews who represents me uh, in the Los Angeles area she negotiated all my contracts with every visual effects facility I worked with mm. even with the animation facilities and that was so important there were so 
many things that she would come across a basic contract and tell me, Daniel, you're getting screwed here. Let me go ahead and fix this. And she would fix so many problems. Yeah. It was really, really important, but it was also very uncomfortable the first time I had to utilize those services. So those were, yeah, those it were is. very big things. You know, it's a very big step, especially when you're a young kid and, you know, a big studio wants to do work with you. And then here you are whipping out a lawyer. You know, it's really scary when you first do that, you know? Yeah. And in, that's the problem too. You don't want to come off as being insulting because I think I want to make sure it's clear between the two of us. We're not trying to attack any studios necessarily or anything no, like that. Uh, and, and, and and it's not just a studio. Like Studios are made of people just like us who, yeah, who have yeah. families and have to pay bills. And, and, and so I it's think business. it is, it's business yeah. and business is black and white and all that kind of stuff. And it's understandable. And I think you hit it on the head. I've mentioned it before is like we as artists for the most part, we would do this for free. And that's yeah, why we exactly, get taken advantage of. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. We love what we, we, we grew up. And I think this may be something unique to just the millennial generation is that we're sort of taught this idea, sort of what we saw with Steve Jobs, where we were taught, do what you love. Make sure that no matter what you do, do what you love. And then Steve <laughs> Jobs, you know, you have people with shirts that say, do what you love and let it kill you. And that's the problem. They're like, <laughs> we let it kill us. And I'm like, no, 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 do what you love, but make sure it loves you back. That's my feeling about things in the industry. So yeah, yeah, that's the unfortunate part is that the business end of things, we're not thinking about that. And we constantly let that, let our love for the industry, the love of what we do get in the way of uh, just general common sense, I think. Yeah. I've been completely um, guilty of that, especially when I first started out. I was was desperate for change and I really wanted change and I wanted to make it no matter what. And I was willing to take the lowest bidder without question just because I needed it. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if I were to talk to my old original self, I'd say, well, how did I get there if I don't have the chance to get in the, like my foot in the door from the, the ground up? And so it's really challenging. It's, yeah, a, it's a big challenge, you know, I, mean, I don't think for me, you know, I remember electronic arts, the first interview I had and I didn't get the job and I told them, well, I mean, is there anything else? Is there an internship? I'd be willing to work for free. Sure. I, I look back on myself then and I cringe that <laughs> I did that, but I, I can understand, you know, sure. like there's so many we students coming out there. You, you have to get in, you got to, and so you're willing to work for a potentially abusive employer, you know, to get something on your reel. Sure. And then that's the only way you can market yourself. You know? I think I think it's really important for guys like you and I who are established and have figured out a way of making a career to remember that because that's a equal equally as important a part of the equation of solving something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think oftentimes when people grow, they they shed their skin and they forget where they come from, and that's fine, I guess, because it takes a lot of attention and energy to remember these things. But at the same time, I think it's really important to remember that oh, like. I'm I'm just as guilty and oh, yeah. and what would I what 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 would have helped me you know and if I would have had um, some friends or colleagues or a, a podcast or a blog to kind of look at and go ah oh, you know this is kind of interesting and 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 I gotta tell you I, and everybody that's listening is if everybody says you know what I'm not gonna sign an NDA because you won't let me show my work if everybody does that what do you think is gonna happen oh yeah it would it would instant it, change. change instant, instant change, change instant yeah. Change. And I if, think, yeah, I mean, just to, sorry to interrupt, but no, just no, go ahead. the point is, it's almost like everybody is sort of at the, the prom dance, right? Everybody's kind of looking at the other person and say, who's going to step onto the dance floor? Sure. First, right? Yeah. And so everybody is really, and that's sort of been the problems with just general organizational issues in the industry where everybody's looking at each other and mm-hmm. the chicken and the egg issue comes up where we want to join an organization, but we're what reluctant to join unless somebody else.
else joins first or something like that. So everybody wants to take this plunge and some people are in a better situation than others. So they're less likely to take the plunge, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's really tough. You know, it's a really good point what you're making there though, that, that we do really need to sort of all agree to something. But I've always said in order to make that work, I've always been the advocate of getting, the, and this is also Scott Ross, who I think you've had a great podcast with. Yeah, Scott was great to talk to. He's very yeah. interesting. Because he's just as guilty on doing the business stuff as well, but at the same yeah. time, he is. I think he's got a. He's having a little regathering re- re- of things. There's a lot of people I know that were that aren't aren't fans of his. And, oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and 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 that's another thing too. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I think I think it was really interesting too. I was talking with Andrew, who helps produce the podcast, and I was like, I was getting some more information on you. I was like. I really want to talk to you and, and I'm just, you know, you, you, you decided to kind of take a step out. And, and when I listen to your other interviews and stuff, you really have, um, it, it seems like you have a higher level of empathy, human empathy of some sort, you know, like I was, at first I was a little hesitant and I was like, I wonder if he's, I got to figure out what kind of person this guy is exactly, because, right? yeah, because you could, yeah, yeah. of course. There's well, the first person to throw the rock, you know, it's like, yeah. why would you do that? Like, why, what's your decision? Why, why are you, are you doing this to get attention? Or are you, you know, like what's the, uh, in, the incentive, but after listening to your, the, uh, the podcast, um, and see what it is. Uh, the thing I sent you, the it's a FX guide. Yeah. FX guide. Did, mm-hmm. Jeff Huser. Yeah. That was like the first day when I came out, I blogged. So long story short, I anon- anonymously blogged for a good three years. And then mm-hmm. last year, uh, I decided to come out and, uh, Jeff Huser was one of the first ones that wanted to do an interview. It sort of made a lot of headlines in the, uh, various trade press. And, you know, it, you know, I can understand, you know, the, there was some sort of nefarious, uh, plot or some sort of angle sure. that, had and it's funny that you mentioned empathy because I was actually going to mention that to you is that whenever I think about these problems in the industry I'm always thinking about not just for me but for let's say the artist who's out there in the UK or maybe the kid who's coming out there from school or or, or India or China or, or anything yeah or yeah. a studio and if you read my blog I actually write a lot with empathy for a lot of people around the world I've written about uh, an artist in India getting screwed. He, I would post out his contract. An artist in Singapore who was fired because his wife got pregnant. I mean, you know, I've gone mm. through the whole list, and I've gotten a lot of letters from people who I've been sort of that. Even when I was anonymous, I was like the only person. Some people would e- just have intimate conversations over email because they couldn't talk to anybody else. You know, sure. so it was really it was really interesting through the years, and it's I've been really grateful to all the support and all that. And I understand the skepticism; it's still there. You know, a lot of people aren't trustful. You know, they it's really hard to trust somebody when they're saying, "Hey, look, I'm I'm you know I'm willing to help out here, and I'm somebody who." really has never collected a dime in what I've been trying to do. I never That's good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, and I've never even flying around to Vancouver or New York, I've done that on my own dime, you know. Wow. Cuz uh, it was mostly for me, I think I and you feel like I, you're due to do it or something. I think not really due to do it, but I think it was more or less like uh, and you probably have heard in that FX guide podcast that I've actually left the industry. And I think looking back on my 10 years in the industry, you think a lot about why did I leave? What would I have done differently? And, you know, I think there are a lot of people throughout history, I think, who just kind of said, hey, I'm just going to leave this out there for the next person. And that's all I can do is really leave that blog post out there sure. the FX soldier and to say, hey, for the next person that tries to do this, here's what I did. Here's what I think was wrong. Here's what I would have done differently. And that's really all it was about. And I guess 
that's that's the way the world works, you know. I mean, if we had more people like that in the world, maybe we'd be better off. But who knows? You know, it's very tough. Yeah, so. you never know. It is a very complicated thing. I think if anything, it's complicated. You know, like yeah, that's it, the word that describes the industry that we're yeah, in. It's uh, incredibly complicated, and and, it, and and there's no right answer. If there was, it would have been fixed by now. And and mm-hmm. it's like it's so challenging to step on one thing without the other. So it's like, how do you move through it? And 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 I was just curious. Like, did you get a lot of black backlash and you become like the black sheep once you expose your identity or was it kind of like, it's hard to say. I think there was, um, you know, unfortunately for, you know, just the nature of things is because I was from, uh, the Los Angeles area in California where, you know, was sort of where the visual effects industry was and collapsing. Uh, of course I got a lot of support from a lot of people who were here, but on an international level, I think a lot of people were very skeptical and they were very much against uh, my effort. In fact, part of the reason I came out, uh, if you if you were listening to the story on Effects Guide, was mm-hmm. there was going to be a protest at DreamWorks because the president was going to be there. And I thought, hey, look, let's get yeah. everybody there. And I was going to go there anonymously. And then I discovered that there was a group of people in the UK that was able to come up with a list of people they thought was the writer behind VFX. These are people who had nothing to do with my blog. And so (laughs) they they were blacklisting these people who they just thought had either some expressed some sort of sympathy towards the the cause that I was this doing this just Uh, random people or a studio. uh, It was a forum. It was actually a public forum of anonymous people. And so they were putting out this list of, you know, and I saw this list of people and these are people who had nothing to do with, you know, the movement. And so Mm. when I saw that, I said, you know what? I don't work in the industry anymore. I just said, fuck it. Let's, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to come out swinging. And I think a lot of people who are still anonymous today are like really went, almost went into hiding because of that. You know, it was really odd. So, Mm. you know, there's that issue in the back end of like, okay, there's a competitiveness in the industry where sort of there's this, uh, I think this uh, pleasure of the misfortune of others, you know, in the industry, because you think it'll lead to more gains for you because of just how competitive the industry is. And it's that's very what interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very unfortunate angle to the industry. And, you know, that happens also in California where people are working in various facilities. They think we've got the better pipeline or we, we did a better job. We should have won the Oscar or something like that. Sure. You know, it's most, a lot of industries have that as well, you know? Yeah. 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 It's like a human, it's a human uh, quality uh, or, or dysfunction if you rather. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny though. Uh, you know, it used to be in this industry is like who won the who won the biggest award or who won who worked on the best project who won the Oscar. Now these days, a conversation in the visual effects industry is who got out. You know, that's the, <laughs> it's the the definition of success. You know, when I tell people I got out of the industry, they immediately first want to tell me. And these are people who are doing quite well. They're like, what are, what are you doing? How how did you get out? Can I can I talk to you a little bit more about that? And that's really sad. You know, because it, you know on paper this is an industry that should be so so successful. Right. I mean, you've got. Incredible- yeah, where does the money go to? You think? <laughs> well, I think the money goes to obviously the studios. I think when we, if we have a chance, we should probably maybe talk about the the, um, the money the flow and the and the I'd business how it works. Yeah, yeah well, I'd I'm, love to. Yeah, I'd love I, to know more about your perception and understanding of subsidies and all that stuff as well. Oh, because yeah, I'm still a bit fun. new at it. Um, oh, it's a it's a huge it's a huge it's I've well, written pages and pages about it. So. Yeah, I know you have. You're a uh, bit of an expert on the topic, so I think it, I think it's going to be really good for people to listen to because I know most people like myself 
don't aren't experts of it don't understand the picture and yeah. so it'd be cool to we'll make sure we touch on those two topics yeah, you know with the word how the money flows in a simple mm-hmm. way to see how it works yeah. and maybe we can just analyze and try to discover like hey um maybe we can make a change here how about yeah. what would happen if we made a change here at the ground yeah. and i i think the biggest thing though and this is what i will Scott Ross and I have always made this conclusion, and you could check my blog. We were at one time big adversaries. There were a lot of bad things I was saying on my blog about Scott Ross and things that he did when he was managing digital domain. Yeah. And I wrote about that. And but we've come together and acknowledging one big thing is that no matter what, no matter what change we agree to, no matter how good the solution is, you are going to need the big six U.S. studios to agree to that. And that's the biggest issue is like, how do you get them to the negotiating table and how do you get them to agree to that? So that's sort of the problem. <laughs> just right need there. a big, powerful change though. You know, yeah. I remember when Steve Jobs was trying to get everybody to go and join into his, his Apple tune or iTunes thing, you yeah. know, and he was like, fuck it. Every song's worth a dollar. And they're, and, and they're like, no way, you know, like you can't yeah. say like a Beatles song is worth the same as a Justin Bieber or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he got them all to to do it because and and I and I honestly think it's just you know dollars move the world you know and, yeah well and, also the, also the fact that look there was a huge amount of disruption from uh, piracy I guess so yes. it was either okay well, it's <laughs> sink or swim guys free yeah. or you can pay pay a dollar and get it and get the experience to just download it very quickly and just add it to your iPod. And I think a lot of people are more receptive for that. Uh, I mean, I remember downloading music off of Napster, and eventually iTunes came out, and I got an iPod, and I said, "Hey, look, I think it's more convenient to have my film, my uh, my songs organized." So it, it was a bit more convenient. So I think, you yeah, know, he played on the idea of convenience and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the user experience. You know, it's such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's gonna. I mean, I'm tr- I'm trying to to proje- project my mind into where I think this stuff is going and and sure. how I think it's going to go there and. Part of me thinks, and this is just me, I, I'm looking 10, 20 years away, and I'm thinking uh-huh. of of like people being able to create their own filmic experience, some kind of world-building thing that they can build in VR of some sort. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to necessarily need a huge teams of creatives, but they're definitely going to still need creative people. I think, I think that being a creative and having ideas that will never go away. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of the special thing that makes us humans. But I'm looking at something that was going to change a lot of things. Cause I look at films as being, and people will probably be upset with me about this because, and I have to be very clear is I love films. I would love to be a director of films at some point in my life and my career. Yeah. And, but I think that, films are going to be eventually become what we look at as the Broadway musical kind of thing where yeah, it's I agree. I isolated. Agree. And because mm. what's going to happen is people are going to have virtual consoles at their house that they plug in, they're fully immersed. And you know, why go to the theater and deal with people being stupid and yeah. all that kind of stuff when you can well, just plug in at home, you know, it's, it is already happening in that yes, sense. It or, is. You know, you're seeing Netflix, you're seeing, yep. I think a lot of, uh, what is this film? Snowpiercer. 
and the distribution model involved in that. And I think the industry is changing, but it's very, very hard for the industry to change because of so many stakeholders. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's, you know, if let's say uh, there's this, I think, what is it, Hidden Dragon, Crouching Tiger or something, there's a sequel coming out and they're going to go direct to Netflix on that. Well, mm. guess what? Now IMAX or the theaters out there, the theater chains are like, well, that's a threat to our business. Yep. So we're not going to show any of those films uh, at our theaters and, you know, any of those studios, we're probably going to probably Protest. So yep. run the risk of now, okay, the next Avengers film, you could see theaters saying, well, we're going to we're gonna boycott that film, you know, because of what you guys are doing. So it's trying to get all the stakeholders involved and trying to come up with a business model that works for everybody that has been the uh, underlying issue of trying to get to where we really want to go, which is, I think, digital distribution and yep. being able to watch a film on your phone, on your computer, uh, on TV. You know, it needs to spread. Yeah. It needs to be spread yeah. it out. That's really yeah. what's going to have to happen. And and mm-hmm. I think the people that are making the top ninety percent of everything are gonna are not going to want to release that 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 hold. You know, they're yeah. not going to want to release that. That yeah, that hold basically, you know, because yeah, like, mean, why would you if you're if you if you have a, a yacht to pay for and and, and your wife's boob jobs and all this? Yeah, stuff, oh, yeah. I'm just making up a fancy, <laughs> yeah, know. you know, who knows? I mean, but they are you maybe you you're you're supporting a, a bunch of families out in a different country and you're helping them and mm. you're using all this money. Who knows what you do with it? But at yeah. the same time, um. I don't know. For me, like when I look at the situation of all this stuff and, and I definitely want to be successful and, and somewhat wealthy in a sense where I just want to be able to provide for my family and be able to take time away from work so I can enjoy life, you know, and, um, and that's all balance. It all comes down to personal choices and stuff and decisions. But um, you don't I don't know. I, some part of me thinks that you don't, nec- you don't necessarily need to be a millionaire to be a happy person. I think. Oh, no. And I think you can, you can. I think this some of the happiest and most content and 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 spiritually successful people that I know are they don't make any money, you know. Like well, they're, well, it's it's yeah, just, well, that's a whole different topic. But it's just you know. Yeah, I, I think it's a along that point. I, I think there was a running joke I I once heard from uh, somebody. Uh, uh, I think it was a union representative that was saying this is like you know we as creative types, we as artists who work in the in the film industry. We're just asking for one thing that studio executives and the studios will never have enough, you know, just enough. That's yeah. all we're asking for, you know. Yeah. We're not asking to be millionaires. We're just saying, just give us enough to have a living and have a stable living, and we'll create beautiful and creative content for you guys, you know. And that's that's always been the case of I think every artist what they want, you know. We're not asking for much there, and I no, think that's, not really, you know? you know, it just shows how hard it is in the industry. Just getting credits on a film, you know. There's, no, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one of the funniest parts. It's like, it hey, you have, you have a film that everybody's gonna win an Oscar on. And you have what forty percent of the the people who made the film not even put in the credits. You yeah, have yeah. caterers put ahead of them, and it just shows how hard. Oh it yeah, is. it's so yeah. fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> I remember sitting there in the theater with my wife. We uh, went and watched the Total Recall film, and oh yeah, I had sunk about three or four months of my time into yeah. that project, and uh, they didn't credit me at all. And my oh, wife okay. is sitting there like, "What the fuck?" Like, there's like assistant to the assistant to the assistant, you know, like this, like what? Yeah, the? But it, at it, the same time, like, hey, you know, like I was sitting there going, I got a really quick, I, I had a couple big things that happened to me quickly in the industry that made me realize it's all a fucking joke, and it's yeah. all a joke, and nobody cares about nobody, and they're just trying to make a quick buck. Yeah, and uh, and and I was like, you know what? That's cool. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's their business. That's the way that they want to do it. I want to create cool art. 
I want to yeah. create cool shit. Like that's not, I'm not going to let that diminish my love for what I do. You know? And, and I've learned, you know, after I had my first credit, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I didn't really care for credits at all sure. because it's like, wow, you put so much work in this film and you see, my dad, he'd be watching the film and he'd see the credit. And then he said, what did you do on this film? I said, I did the, this one sequence, that one shot over there. And he said, so you spent all your summer working on a, on a shot that <laughs> just went by in like five seconds. He's like, wow. That's, <laughs> it's, so, like, it's so intense. People don't even have a clue and understand how hard it is to make this stuff. Yeah, it's very difficult, very time-consuming, very lab- uh, laborious. Yeah. yeah, And then, you know, at the end of the day, you ask yourself, well, what did you care about? You know, I can give you that one film where I always run into that person who says, I'll do anything to work on Star Wars. I'll do anything to work <laughs> on X-Men. I'll yeah. give you one film. After that, you're going to realize, wait a minute, it's all about you know, my friends, my family, the people I yes. know, you know, having a career. Those are the things that you realize are like, that's what makes it worth it to you. And that's what, may, for me made it a little bit easier for me to transition out of the industry and you know i said hey it's all about people and uh, that's what i've learned and that's what it is going you know it really is it breaks down to the people and the relationships that you have with them and uh yeah you you know you can't take any of that kind of shit with you when you die and i that was when i was sitting there in the theater i was like yeah you know like it's a joke it's all a joke Mm. and uh and, and, and I saw my work every three minutes or so of that film. I was like, oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, hey, you know, I did that, you know, and I didn't even get credited for that. And it's something so simple. It's just like, sure. you know, your name's not that long. I'm, you know, I mean, what, what do you got? Like uh, seven letters here. It's like, you can't put that in a film. And so that's one of those things where I usually point out to that. Bad and say, management. Look at how hard it is. This industry is all about leverage. And the reason why you're seeing the caterers, everybody else, you know, get a credit is because they are part of an organization, yes. a union that good for them. that, you know, and good yeah. for them. That's the leverage they had. And I think we, if we got together, we had, we'd have that same leverage, but yeah. it's very difficult given the, how uh, displaced the industry is across the globe and, you know, the organizational issues with that. I mean, they're, they're locked, you know, hopefully it'll change. I know? think it'll change. It'll change by people like yourself and myself and other people I know that are jumping out and saying, you know what, this is fucked. Yeah, we we got to stop this. Like this is, we we need we need a better working condition, or we need you know better better way of sustaining life. If you can't, if people can't afford to make a film, then you can't fucking make a film. Like sorry, yeah. you know, like go figure out a different way. There's crowdsourcing. There's all kinds of ways. There's people that are willing to support great art you know it's just, it's but, i don't know it's you know but but the truth is you can make i mean the studios have ex- huge examples out there i mean we've got an example coming out this week big hero six made mm-hmm. by disney made by a ton of visual effects artists here in los angeles without subsidies with unionized labor those people are doing great they have health insurance and all that cool I mean, you, you can I'll go take see care it and support of, it yeah, then yeah, yeah you know you can take care of people and you can make a great product and make huge profits and disney knows that the problem is is that there's got to be leverage to change the rest of the industry. And so, you know, that's something that we need to work on. We need to show those examples, you know, to people. And that's something I do right, routinely on my blog, you know. That's good. Yeah, if, if it, and I also think that, um, you know, with like any quote-unquote revolution, if you can say that's what we're trying to set up, is uh, it, 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 takes, it takes education. You know, I think it's educating people on, you know, a perspective that could alter their choices, you know, and I think... Yeah. No. that providing people with the right resources. So let's look at, um, let's look at a scenario. I'm, yeah. what is, what is, what is a college grad? They're like, what, 22, 
22. I graduated when I was 24. So 24? I went to junior college and all that. But yeah, okay. 22. So let's say I'm 22 to 24 years old. Sure. I'm just ready to rock. I'm super excited. I got a portfolio. It's not the best, but I've been studying and working hard. And I really, really want to work for Disney because I grew up watching The Lion King or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I jump in. What can we give them as, as some sort of... Wait, wait, what if they don't even get into Disney or something? They get into a different studio. What can what can you and I kind of give them as, as some sort of advice or some kind of well, One thing, I think one thing to point out is, yes, they have a portfolio, but another thing is they probably have a lot of debt, right? So a lot sure. of people going yes, to these schools. And so in a way, they're sort of coming out of school, they're seeing these huge bills come in, and then it's now desperation mode, right? So because you've got to pay these bills. And so you're already put in sort of, a situation where a potential employer is going to have a lot of leverage over you. And so I know that, and they know that they know that. Right. But I think for anybody who sort of gets into the industry, I think my, when I first came out, I was so fixated on, I have to work for one of the big studios. I have to work for these places. I have to work. Right. And I think you should really widen, you know, widen your, you know, where you can work. Right. For example, if you want to work in commercials, we want to work in all these places and you think I have to have a demo reel. Well, guess what? There are a lot of places that, you know, if there are coordinator positions, there are uh, render wrangler positions, right? I started off really as a render wrangler at Sony pictures and uh, Sony pictures image works. And my, my ultimate goal is just get a job in the industry. It doesn't matter if you're an executive assistant. Once you get your foot in the door through there, and hopefully it's a paying position, you can then start establishing your connections with people trying to learn the proprietary software. A lot of these places have proprietary software. And then here you are. I mean, when I was a Wrangler at, at uh, Sony Pictures Imageworks, I worked 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. every day. So I was watching renders, and you know the renders are kind of you know it's pretty easy to watch, and you know just take care of any procs, I'd, any kind of failures on the jobs, I'd relaunch them, and they kind of manage themselves. So in the meantime, I would just go ahead and start getting access to a lot of proprietary software there, and start learning that there. And, yeah. And I had a lot of questions. There was a lot of forums there internally at the company, and I would participate in those forums. And there would be some people say, "Hey, you know, aren't you Daniel Lay? I, I saw your uh, I saw your email there. It seems like you're really interested in this stuff. You know, we have this big project coming up called I Am Legend. We need a bunch of hair and cloth artists. Um, would you like to give it a shot?" And I said, "Of course, you know." And so that's eventually how I got my first big shot. And so, you know, I just I just recommend to you know people say, "I'm coming out." Of school, I'm a character rigger. I am a lighting technical director. As I really advise for them to just widen, you know, widen their perspective a bit and be willing to take those jobs that are probably ones that not many people want. Like for example, a render wrangler or a uh, you know executive assistant or a coordinator. You know, those are positions where you can really get into some of the key decision makers and you know show somebody, hey, you know what, I also know how to do this work, and you can really get to get you know. Uh, you know, probably get a good, pretty good position on a, on a film, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think, well, that's just being, um, inquisitive and hardworking, you know, like that's, yeah. that's something, uh, and, and I, I don't know if you want to touch base on too, but you mentioned a little bit about your upbringing and stuff. And, and I think that we are all made kind of from the environment, which we oh, grew up in, in yeah. the beginning. So I imagine that the family that you were raised under had, the concept of empathy and, and being oh, yeah. a human uh-huh. and, and also hardworking 
and uh, self-sacrificing. Is yeah, that- yeah. yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, my parents, you know, they were immigrants uh, to the United States from... The first uh, generation? Yeah, first generation. Uh, cool. So my parents came from Burma, uh, which is in Southeast Asia, which is now called Myanmar. And that country, it's it's known for how em- you know you know how much empathy the people have there. Of course, when you have that empathy and you're willing to help people out, you're you know the government there is one of the most oppressive ones out there. Sure. In a way, it's like you're you put yourself in a position where you're taken advantage of. And I grew up, and my dad, he definitely was taken advantage of. I remember uh, he, my parents started a textile uh, a textile uh, machine shop uh, locally here, uh, almost in South Central Los Angeles, which is the area I kind of grew up in. And you know, they, you know, I saw a lot of the, a lot of the companies that my dad worked for took advantage of him. And there were times where there was a work accident where he had all his front teeth knocked out. And you know, yeah, and you know, he he didn't have any leverage really, or he was too afraid of his employer to really do anything about it, and so he ended up paying the cost to get all of his teeth replaced. You know, and so, wow. and I asked about that. Yeah, I asked about that story when I was a kid. I said, Dad, why didn't your employer do anything? He said, Oh, I, I didn't want to make them angry or anything like that. So there's a lot of I think from, and this is coming from an Asian families. There's a lot of sure. saving out there, and so they're really afraid to sort of. And you know we can talk about like visual effects work in India, why that has not, you know, why that hasn't turned out to be as big as I think it should have been. Um, we can talk about that, and a lot of it is a lot of cultural issues. And so that's sort of where I came from. And you know, you know, you work through that, but I, I definitely learned from my parents, and I definitely learned as an American that look, you do have to stand up for what's right, and you do have to stand up for yourself. And you know, that sometimes means sticking your neck out there and possibly pissing somebody off you know that's something that you're gonna have to stand up for yourself and you know and that's where as a collective and this podcast is called the collective you know, we kind of <laughs> need to stand up for each other you know at some point then that's where you can get things to work a little bit better because it's very hard if you're a kid out of school you know nobody's going to stand up for you and just feel like you're just part of a herd here we, we will do it we'll try yeah. to yeah, yeah you know yeah. like yeah. you know yeah. give yourself self-value and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff you yeah. know so I remember when I was slowly adjusting my day rate, you know, like, oh yeah, I think I started off at, I think it was like three fifty a day or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, this is the most money ever. You know? It's like, it's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I was just so, I was just so happy to have a paycheck to do, to do, to work on commercials or whatever it was, you know, and, uh, just barely thankful really, you know, oh, and, I mean. and, and the change now is significant, you know, it's like the rate that I charge now is, is probably on the higher range. Oh yeah, but I feel that I could do the work of ten people now, you know, and I feel oh. the value is there, and I feel I feel like it gives me a lot of confidence because I can go into it. And it's not like, hey, uh, I'm gonna be a dick. Like I want all your money. It's not like that at all. I'm, gonna, and yeah. the, oftentimes the the client will go, okay, well then we have to cut your time down because we just can't afford extra days, and say that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like you do what you have to do. You have a budget. You have somebody to respond to. I understand. Mm-hmm. but um we'll get the best that we can done you know like i don't know i i always look at it um and i'm just this is more of a personal thing and i'm just trying to bring up the concept because a lot of times people like to, to walk around these kind of topics you know openly yeah. and say like oh this is how much you should get paid like or this is that i remember when i first found out how much the flame dudes are getting paid i was like what oh, yeah. the fuck that's crazy <laughs> yeah what are they getting? Some some guys are getting like almost like two hundred dollars an hour or something like that. Yeah, about two hundred dollars an hour. I think was normal when I was working, and I was I was getting that a day. I remember. So I would be working with them. 
I was working on a film called The Right, and I think there was th- three flame artists, and they were awesome, such cool people. I loved them. They worked on like Saving Private Ryan and all these like Jurassic yeah. Park and all this fucking rad stuff, and they were super cool. And it was just crazy when I found out how much they got paid. I was like, wow, that's that's incredible. And I wasn't yeah. mad or jealous or anything. I was just like, that's really cool. Like <laughs> that you could you could hone your craft, find something, and make a, a good amount of yeah. you know money and take that money, save it and leave. (laughs) Yeah. I remember the first time I, uh, I I came across like some of the rates that people were being paid. I just thought, Holy crap, that's Republican money right there. (laughs) You can become a Republican there. You're like part of the top 1% or something like that. And you know, it it is true that the artists do get paid very good wages, uh, you know, especially here in Los Angeles. And now the issue is, is like, well, you know, you, given the technology now, you can send it to places like India. You can send it to places in the UK where they don't get paid overtime, where they get paid very low wages there, and they live in a very expensive location there. That's and really so, weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, really amazing. And so, you know, things have have sort of um, winded down a bit uh, as far as rates from what I've been seeing. Um, yeah, yeah, they've but, leveled oh. out, or just yeah. like the work goes somewhere else. And mm-hmm. and I think for anybody as listening, I think if 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 that's a situation, then you got to really figure out a way of making yourself unique. And you yeah. got to figure out a way of making so that they go, okay, we have to go use this guy. I don't care if it costs this much. He's the best that does this, you know? And so you figure out whatever it is that you do and, um, and always be aware. I think for me, I'm always constantly trying to be aware of the situation and going like, well, this isn't going to last forever. And I know it's yeah. not. So I cannot just sit here and get comfortable. Because if well, you learn a program that's like really hot now, like yeah. you got better be better be aware and 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 believe me, like like let's just use Houdini for example. I, like, I was just about to say Houdini. Yeah, who there were guys a few years ago who were just like, if you're a Houdini guy, you were a rock star. You're getting rock star rates. Yeah. Now everybody's doing Houdini. You know, yes, or Krakatoa or whatever. There's all yeah. these different things, but I'm 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 just saying I'm guaranteeing you that there's going to be there's going to be a, another software company that's going to see Houdini and go, you know what? I can make this easier. I can yeah. make it so lot, uh, an entry level person can use it mm-hmm. and make really cool stuff. There's like the program that I use a lot is cinema 4d and it's incredibly user friendly. And, uh, it's, it's instead of going and trying to use Maya, I just use cinema 4d because I don't want to spend a ton of time. I just want to create stuff. I don't want to be like, all right, now I got to watch like 40 forums and like tutorials just to like move something like fuck yeah. that, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so what I'm saying is that, okay, cool. Like, you know, Houdini or one of these awesome programs are just amazing. They do amazing things mm-hmm. and you, you can just ride that out for, but you're only going to be able to ride it out for as long as that program is going to be prevalent in the industry and something else is going to come along and you're going to have to learn that and it's going to crash that out and, Blah, blah, blah. But what I'm saying is you got to be able to be prolific in a way of growth and change constantly. And it's not like the industry is, I think it kills people. It burns people out because it's, it's ever changing, you know, like it's never staying still. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that's I mean, just, it's based off of like what people are putting out there. You'll have like this really amazing talent that comes from like Singapore or something, just crushing out really epic things or from Russia yeah. or something. And he's just like a kid. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think even for those perspective, I mean, from that perspective, I mean, I known so many people who are a lot of people who were, who I were working with that were from India, that were from Asia, let's say, and they made those low wages and they quickly came across that glass ceiling. We're like, hey, wait a minute. I know I'm as good as those other guys. Sure. I, I want to get paid more. And a lot of them end up moving to, let's say, the UK, uh, Canada, or even the United States. And I worked alongside many of them. And, uh, you know, hey, look, they want to get paid 
the rock star rates. If, sure, if, good for if, them. You know, and I think that's great. I think that's totally awesome. So, I mean, it's not like this down, there's this downward spiral, no, I would no. say, but I think there's things kind of just stabilize and, you know, things just kind of keep there. I mean, you are in a very unique position where, you know, there's an art that you do, something very unique look that you make, and, you know, that's worth the price of whatever you're charging, you know, and I was able to sort of find my niche in where I specialized in digital hair, and there were, you know, not many people that could do that, you know, and, uh, you know, that's where sort of, you know, digital domains that we need a hair guy for Tron. Well, you know, where sure. are these guys? And they just could not find him. And so I was able to go ahead and negotiate what I think was a fair rate. I mean, my lawyer thinks it was fair, so she negotiated that. So that's and how you, it, when you make up your rate too. This is another thing I want to bring up too. Is when you bring up your rate, you got to also ca- calculate. I have to f- hire the lawyer, so she's going to take a certain amount of money that uh-huh. adjust my rate. If I if, if, let's say that I need to charge seven hundred dollars a day, but sure. I but I spread that out and say five days a week, and I do an eight hour day, and I spread that all out. And I, I calculate all of the cost of living. I go, yeah. this is how much my food is, my insurance, yeah, yeah. the car bill, blah, blah, blah. And I also have to calculate, I have to pay my lawyer. She costs this much month, month this month, but she she equals out to be costing me a thousand bucks a month or something. That's $12,000 sure. a year. You mm-hmm. spread that out and then you figure out, okay, that's how much I need to charge people. I think that's also another thing to be really, uh, to be open up to and understand. Is, and I think a lot of artists and creative types uh, myself in general too. I'm a I'm a numbers person though for some oh, re- yeah. weird reason. I'm definitely, I'm same way as you. You know, very very meticulous about the numbers and how much you know I'm making and making sure that I'm including taxes and any cost of living. Move, you know, all that is very important. You know, you gotta you you work for a reason to make more money than what you're spending. And if you're Hopefully. spending more, you know, <laughs> I I don't know how. I honestly have to ask this question for the rates that people are being. I've heard about the rates in the UK and how expensive it is to live in the UK. What's the rate that you've been hearing the number I've been, I've been hearing that some of them are under 300 pounds a day so you're talking about somewhere in the US dollars you're talking about 400 to 500 dollars a day mm-hmm. and you know in Los Angeles that's actually a very livable rate yeah that's, that's livable yeah definitely I mean, well you know like for example I was making about 55 dollars an hour and I was taking I believe about 2500 a week you know so I was I was making you know if uh, I worked a good year with a lot of overtime I made well into six figures there and I mm-hmm. live pretty comfortably here in Los Angeles where you know my rent was maybe about at the most if I wanted to stay in Marina del Rey I was spending about 1200 that's gone up a bit but you know still it was very livable I was saving a lot of money I was able to save for retirement and everything you know pay for health insurance but in the UK you know there are people getting paid probably less a lot less than that you know mm. and you're talking about a, a place in the UK and Canada where it's actually quite expensive to live you know it's probably yeah. I mean, London is one of the most expensive places to live. And so I, I'm sort of amazed that people are actually living there, working these crazy wages. Um, I talked to somebody who's actually doing research in London on the industry, and he said a lot of people are just they're bunking up and shacking up with each other in these flats. You know, you have five people living in a flat, like five students will all be living in the same flat working in the industry. And so that's really amazing to me that, you know, it's almost like a migrant worker now at this point. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, I was yeah. going to say that. It's fairly interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it, do you think it's due to oversaturation? Do you think that's what it I, is? I think there is a bit of, I mean, obviously with these schools there, there is a bit of oversaturation, but what I've, you know, I've obviously mentioned this on my blog is that uh, a lot of the reasons why the work 
happens in these locations and it's able to get done and you know for these companies that I don't think would be in business if they had to compete on a on let's say a non-subsidized field where yeah. they're receiving a lot of subsidies from the government and so they're able they you know these subsidies go directly to the studios they don't go to the vendors so the vendors they still have to put out these competitive bids and so they're underbidding and so that lowers the price and then now you got to pay your workers less and then they've got to work longer hours and then now you can see why there's uh, you probably saw on Twitter yesterday there was this article about MPC. It was a puff piece uh, in Variety, and the comment section you had almost 300 comments from people who worked at MPC who said this company is terrible to work for, and you know so that's something that has been a big issue um, with that. So. Uh, you know, that's, it's still been very interesting is like, Hey, how low can you go? Can you take, you know, work for less money? How much do you love, you know, Avengers and Guardian of the Galaxy? Are you willing to essentially pay to work in the industry? And that's sort of why I left the industry was I I sort of looked on the outlook there and I said, Hey, look, I'm going to have to keep moving around when you factor in moving costs. Moving is is a luxury. And, you know, to pay for that, I'd essentially be paying to work in the industry. And I said, you know what, I'm out. I'm not going to work in this industry anymore. And so... uh, What are you you doing now, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I can't. I I don't want to say because uh, I'm a little bit wary about people kind of finding out my employer because obviously I'm not a very popular guy in the industry for some people. So, you know, they're well, you know, given the blacklisting situation, but sure. I am working completely outside the industry. I'm not even doing any sort of creative work, really. I'm doing work in sort of a different industry. Mm. Um, it, I, you know, I went to school. Uh, I studied computer science at UC San Diego. I think you're in San Diego area, and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, I studied computer science. And so my transition out of the industry was a bit easier in the sense that. I had sort of uh, I had a degree from a university that's well known, and I also had uh, a lot of skill sets that can work outside the visual effects industry, and so that's what made my transition a bit easier uh, out there. You know, it's um, good. You know, it's great. It's great. You know, but knock on wood, you know, I I I fear the day where I'd be like, I have to come back to the visual effects industry. Nah, that won't happen <laughs> if you don't want it to. Yeah, I think I, probably if you really don't want to, you won't. You'll figure out a way, and, and it's like this is human cold. It's just like human nature, you know. Yeah. Unless you like really fear it so much that you do eventually do, because then because yeah. you're putting enough energy into pulling you back into it, you know. So <laughs> it's <laughs> this, really interesting, though. I I had I turned last year. I turned down an opportunity at Disney to work on Frozen. And I turned down an opportunity to work at a virtual reality company. And, you know, I said, look, I wanted to do something completely different. I've already got that creative side that I, I, I've already satisfied that. And for me, I said, hey, look, let's just say great 10 years. I worked on these great films. It's time to move on, you know. And so that's sort of what I did there. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's your yeah. choice, you know, and your decision. And, um, yeah, it's like, what are you going to do, you know? It's like that's mm-hmm. if that's what you feel um, is going to, you know, be your motivation and whatever. I've noticed that there's been a couple, I've heard of some really awesome things where there's been these guys. I remember, I can't remember my friend, Anthony Jones is talking about it on his steam account. I don't know if you've ever checked out his stuff. He's got not steam. It's like, he has like a podcast saying that he talks and does all this, like breaks down all this, kind of stuff that we're talking about it's really cool let's see if i have it i'm looking at it right yeah i never, I never had i never seen this stuff but you stream it? that's what it's called and uh, he just stream. talks like all kinds of crazy stuff about the industry and his take on things and stuff it's, it's really cool mm-hmm. but but um uh let's see sorry um but yeah the way he was breaking down kind of the understanding of um I lost my train of thought. Oh, he was saying that there's been these these guys that are like, oh, man, the industry is 
too saturated and blah, blah, blah. Let's take all our skills and, and understanding like of, of uh, 3D modeling and rendering and let's go sell our, our abilities to architectural firms. Oh, yeah. And they're yeah. making a crush, like a killing, a killing. Because oh, yeah. they're basically going like, oh, you want like, you want a fucking couch here? Oh, you want it red? Okay. Like, yeah. that's well, easy it, for us to do. <laughs> it, it's funny. It's funny. So, like, you know, the problem with the industry, you know, you could say something about oversaturation, but the real problem is, look, it's you have, you know, I guess, undersaturation of who the clients are. It's you have six studios, right? And yeah. they're hitting all these vendors against each other. And that's a problem is that visual effects really isn't really sellable to anyone outside of the film industry. Whereas, you know, commercials isn't really going through this problem, right? Commercials yeah, is doing great. It's making a lot of money. And the reason why is because there are, what, 3,000 brands out there looking to make a commercial. And so yeah. in that sense, they're not sort of using that leverage the Monopoly. way... Yeah, the the studios are, and so that's sort of been the problem with the uh, film visual effects industry. Who are Not the six studios? Company. I don't even know. These oh, the six studio, the big six studios are Warner Brothers, Disney, Sony, Fox, Universal, and Paramount. Mm. So any film that you and maybe legendary I guess, is like a small one. Like, well, legendary is sort of a production company that goes to Warner Brothers. Uh, okay. I, I think they've broken up with Warner Brothers, and there, there's now they've got like this partnership with a Chinese company. There's smaller ones out there. There's sort of lines. It's like digital domain and all that stuff too. Oh, so let's okay. So I think for your um, for your audience, I think we should we should maybe I should maybe clarify how this works. So sure, please do. Yeah. So um, whenever you watch a film like Avengers or let's say you know How to Train Your Dragon Two or whatever. You're watching a film that's been produced by a studio, uh, most likely Warner Brothers, Disney, Sony, Fox, Universal, Paramount. They're making a ton of money, right? Marvel is owned by Disney, uh, so they're making a ton of money off these films. But when you see the visual effects in them, right, so when they, they go out and produce these films, the visual effects for them are pr actually created by vendors such as Digital Domain, uh, Sony Imageworks, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, MPC, Double Negative. These are all vendors that are in the business of creating visual effects uh, uh, for a project, let's say. And so when Disney, let's say, wants to go out and make Avengers, and they've got all these shots. They go ahead and divide it between Weta and D Digital Domain. Yeah. All these, they all have to competitively bid for that. And so that's where you're starting to see. Well, the big six studios, they've got sort of, you know, they've got all the advantage here. And they basically say, well, okay, Digital Domain, how much can you do it for? They said, well, we can do this project for about five million dollars. Like, okay, well, how much can Weta do it? They said, well, we can do it for four million. And then somebody else says that we can do it less. And then another company will say, well, guess what? We're in a subsidized location. We can do it for not only two million dollars, but our government will go in and chip in and pay for sixty percent of the labor costs. So now you're going for one million dollars now. So you had this downward spiral in the process in the business model of the visual effects industry, and that's sort of why you're seeing such big problems, let's say, for vendors that are going out of business, that are going bankrupt, Rhythm and Hughes, for example. Uh, if you watch that uh, documentary, uh, Life After Pi, I think it's a great way that, uh, uh, it's a great documentary that explains the problems with the business model. Yeah. And then you have all these labor issues now where people are now not working for overtime, they're working longer hours, they're getting paid less, they're not getting benefits, they're having to move constantly around the world. You know, families are being broken up, people are losing their homes, they're foreclosing, they're going to bankruptcies. So, that business model has had a paralyzing effect on the industry, and it's sort of the reason why the industry has 
pretty much collapsed here in Los Angeles, you know. So uh, there's been a lot of big problems, and so here we are. We're here talking about these issues, and that's sort of the uh, underlying problem of the visual effects industry and the problems it goes through. Yeah, it's just a matter of time, though, with that kind of stuff. Change is inevitable, you know? Like, yeah. if anything in life, that's one con- consistent, is that change is inevitable. And, you know, like, when you that's what I was trying to say earlier, is, like, when you think you're comfortable within this industry, it's like you, you're, you can't be. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why it's kind of like a younger person's industry, in a sense. It is, unfortunately, you know? Because yeah. we all want to play. We all want to have fun. We all want to create these things and enjoy it and have fun and see the the work of ourselves, of ours and, and our colleagues up on the screen and enjoy that experience. You know, it's a, it's a rare experience, you know? Yeah. And it's a very unstable industry uh, given yeah. that. And so the, again, you had a lot of passion there. And then I, I think the, the distinguish, you know, something to distinguish though, is that what's happening at places like DreamWorks animation and Walt Disney animation studios or Pixar, these are studios essentially that produce their own content. So yeah. they're backed by the big studio conglomerates, right? And they actually create the content there. And those places are actually quite great to work for. They don't work the crazy, the you know, super crazy hours. They get paid overtime. They have unions. They have benefits. They have you know vacations. They have you know they're not being asked to jump all over the world. You know, trying to chase this. So there's this really you know alternate path for a lot of visual effects artists where hey, it's really stable at those companies. The problem is everybody wants to go work for those companies right now. And uh-huh. yeah. even if you make let's say How to Train Your Dragon two. And you don't make a hit, you know. It's you know you run into problems there too, where okay sure. they they go through layoffs also, and so that as an environment, as an ecosystem, the visual effects industry and the animation industry are sort of kind of feed off of each other, and it's very important to ha- have both sides very healthy because we are all going to work for either one of those, and so the ecosystem uh, is having a bit of problems here where it's collapsing on one end, and then everybody else is trying to get in onto the other end right now. So yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it's a crazy mess. So. I was going to play devil's advocate too oh, on absolutely. some of this stuff because I think it's great. I think it's always best to, to most important, question your own thoughts and words. Uh, not just you, I'm talking about myself too. Because anytime uh, I go, this is what it is. And I go, well, why? You know. Yeah. And uh, so what, one thing I was going to say is that, you know, the one perspective you could use for traveling is that you get to travel and you get to go explore the world and you get to pay pay to do what you do. Absolutely. Which is for some people is amazing. But when you have a family and schools and all that kind of stuff and a dog and a freaking furniture and all that kind of stuff, it's like, it's not as easy. So that's why I was saying it's more of a convenient younger person industry where you can be very versatile and stuff. But even even as a young person, though, you know, I work in an industry where you're actually required to do a lot of travel also. But in the industry that I work in, okay, the company pays for all that travel. They pay for the hotels that you're going to have to stay in. They're sure. going to pay for that. Even in, uh, uh, on for productions, you know, for a lot of the people who do the shoots – they are flown out to these locations, yeah. right? They they have to pay per diems. They have to pay for the hotels and all that. They have to pay even to feed them, cater them, and all that. So a lot of their costs are actually paid for. Their living costs are paid for by productions. And for the visual effects industry, we're essentially chasing the workaround. Where you know, <laughs> I had I've had emails from people at Weta Digital. Weta Digital is doing great, right? They're heavily subsidized in New Zealand, and they'll find themselves there's a huge gap in employment there, right? Because some project isn't picking up, and so. Yeah. They say, okay, well, now I have to fly out to Canada. I've had emails on Thanksgiving night of somebody who's getting charged all these exorbitant fees because he's trying to fit his life into two 
you know, suitcases so he can go to Canada to get this job. Mm. Meanwhile, he's telling his family goodbye in New Zealand on Thanksgiving mm. night. And he's writing me an email saying, like, I can't believe this is happening, you know? Wow. I mean, you know, so, you know, at some point, I think a lot of people have careers in this industry. And if this, um, if this situation continues, is you're really just going to have this migrant workforce of people who really don't have any ownership of any property or anything in life. They have to live suitcase to suitcase. We, you know, there was even a group on Facebook called Pixel Gypsies, right? We call them Pixel Gypsies, where they're just moving around and just doing work. And then as soon as a project is done, they move to the next place. Mm. And they really don't have any sort of ability to settle down anywhere or even have relationships with uh, someone. Because <laughs> they're busy working, you know, 16-hour yeah. days inside of a dungeon, just crushing and, away. <laughs> and then you fall in love with somebody and then you have to tell that person, well, I love you, uh, but I have to go work somewhere else now in the UK now. Would you like to join me? And that person's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave my career for you. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where I call the cycle of displacement that has occurred in the industry. And I've written a lot about that. And uh, I've had a lot of stories about how tough it is, even people who are single and just have, let's say, a dog. Okay, I'm, I got offered a job in Singapore. Okay, my dog has to be quarantined for three months or something like yeah. that, you know, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> to make that move, you know. So it's very difficult to even just move with a pet, you know. It's yes. like, you know, even if you had, let's say, a fish, you know, in a bowl, how are you going to move around with that? You know, it's very difficult. You it's, know? So it's, it's counterintuitive to somebody that wants to have a healthy, balanced life. You know, mm. basically just like which to have loved ones and you know close yeah. by or an animal that they can enjoy and, oh and yeah stuff. um and, yeah. and i i love traveling the world i've traveled to some yeah, far reaches where i love going out there and it's beautiful but you know i want to go out there with a chance to enjoy it but if i have to you know i've had friends who say hey I, i'm gonna finally go work in australia and they go there and they're working day and night on a project and then after the project they they're let go and their visa <laughs> says hey look you have to go yeah. you have to leave the country now so now it's like oh wait i didn't get a chance to enjoy the country really no, no. So, you, you might as well just have stayed home yeah it's yeah, one thing it, i was thinking that it would be most it would be best once we can get some better cloud computing stuff it's like why move people around why don't you just let them stay Exactly. Um, like, you know, we could use Skype and use Cinesync and cloud computing and all this stuff. Why not? You know, like so I, I make that argument all the time to clients. I say, you know what? I'm going to charge you for my travel. Everything has to be charged. You're going to yeah. be charged for that. Yeah. And if, and if, and if you guys can't pay for it, you know, I can't work on this job. I want to do it, but you have to understand the, the damage, you know? Yeah. And I eventually get them to con I convince them that the idea is that they're going to get more for their dollar by me staying home and not wasting time and commuting and traveling. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody, I mean, you're in a very envious position where you can just work from home. And, you know, cloud computing, you would think in this industry, the visual effects industry, that that would be something a bit more ubiquitous and allowing people to work from home. But there are two problems. Number one is the studios are very, very concerned about piracy, right? Sure. And so it, if you're working for this stuff outside the facility, right, at home, there's a chance that'll get leaked out, you know, like the Avengers trailer got leaked out, and now they're going, trying to find out who did that and go after that. There's that one angle of piracy. But the second issue is, again, the subsidies, right? So the subsidies that they receive will require you to move around. So I actually argue that cloud computing is actually making it easier for move people to move these artists around the world because now you don't need you don't have the upstart cost of these facilities so as soon as some government let's say you know isn't able to keep up with the subsidy race that's occurring in the film industry 
well, they'll close that facility down and they'll move you out to somewhere else. They'll say, hey, look, we're now getting a subsidy in, let's say, Dubai. We need you to move out there. We're going to have a pop-up facility. And so now you actually are paying to fly around every time and you're chasing the work. And so that's sort of the bigger problem caused by cloud computing. You would think that it's actually going to help the artists, uh, but it's actually uh, hurting them in the sense that they actually have to be a bit more agile and be willing to move around the world a lot faster now. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. That's crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really sucks, right? It's like so. But I guess it breaks down to the person, you know. Like for me, I'm just really stubborn about that stuff, and oh. I and I and I um and I think I, I you know I, I look at I mean this is a this is a weird thing to maybe look at, but I look at guys like Picasso or something mm-hmm. who value their work, who value sure. themselves incredibly, mm-hmm. highly. If 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 I if if I went to Picasso and 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 uh, there's some artists that I've seen that do digital work that is just amazing, master, yeah. masterful work. Uh-huh. And uh, if they valued themselves at the same level, um, yeah, they wouldn't have a lot of issues. I think they would go, you know, like I've, I've heard um, that, you know, who Craig Mullins is, the digital artist, right? Uh, no, not familiar with him. <clears throat> he's gets some beautiful, fantastic. He's one of the, the original pioneers of, of painting digitally and making it look like a Monet or something like that. Yeah. It's just fantastic work. And he's been around for a long time, I think like 20 years or something like that. And these are all rumors. Okay. Mm. So I don't know if these are facts, but these are rumors. And I'd love to talk with him someday because he's just a phenomenal talent. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of his work, but the, uh, I've heard that he's charged up to 10 grand or something just for one digital painting, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. and, and for me, I, 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 I I, I think to myself, that's amazing. I'm so happy that there's somebody who values themselves that and, much. And anybody who thinks, you know, and, you know, I, I'm an all right artist, I think. I mean, I, I guess my ego is not that big. But, you know, the New York film market right now, I, I'm sorry, the New York art market right now for those kind of like fine arts, you know, those kind of people who just sell pieces like that mm-hmm. is huge. It is exploding. I mean, 60 Minutes has done a story on that of people getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the pieces. So, you know, if you're definitely one of those people who's interested <laughs> in selling those art pieces, definitely check out the market in New York. It's pretty huge, you know, and the, uh, it caters to those you know, guys who are in the top 1% who spend a lot of the money on fine art pieces, you know? Yes. Uh, and so that's a whole uh, different monster. Yeah. But, at the, but at the same time, what I'm trying to say is, is how different is it? What we do, you know, like yeah. it, it is different. Obviously it, yeah. it is completely different. It's industry. It's moving. It's all these different things. But at the same time, how different is it? Is it's it really, different enough to, 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 to destroy your life? You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's really interesting. I've actually said this. I said, you know, I, maybe I'm really bad at art history, but I don't think there's been such an incredible and great creative renaissance since the last renaissance, right? The Italian renaissance where you're seeing people like Leonardo da Vinci who understood technology and art so well. This is such an incredible time for that, an incredible time for technology and art for coming together. And back then, what did they have during the renaissance? I mean, look, Michelangelo and all, all those guys, they were treated like crap, right? Because there was a Medici family out there who's had all the money and they're like, hey, look, we're the ones paying for this art and we're going to pay for the price that we want and you're going to work these crazy hours. I mean, Mike, there's really some incredible stories about what Michelangelo had to go through. And guess what? You know, you have a lot of artists here in the visual effects industry are sort of going through the same thing. Our Medici family is the big six studios. And so, you know, they're the ones who are like, look, we've got the leverage here and we are going to impose the prices of what, you know, we think should be 
paid for this kind of visual effects work, even though they're going on to make billions and billions of dollars. And so that's really at the point where, okay, what happens? You know, are we as artists going to get together and do something? Or I think you're starting to see a lot of artists say, you know what, I'd rather just go in and just get myself the nine to five job in another industry, you know, and that's what I've kind of done. You know, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, but that's, uh, you know, Hey, doesn't mean I can't do this art on the side if I ever feel like it, you know, it's, sure. it's great, you know, but well, you're nope. just allowing yourself to have different opportunities, you know. So there, and there is a ton. I got I, this last year. I've recently worked with like top medical manufacturers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So it's it's there are many things outside of the film industry that are there's commercial and all that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. And I've just allowed I've, I've set myself up in a way to be multi very versatile and, and and agile and be able to mm -hmm. move and try different things and stuff. Um, we talked a lot about the state of things, the the problems and, and, and our own point of views on little little fixes and stuff. What are some like let's just say mm -hmm. you know, you have wishes and they somehow manifest and and sure. they would help mm -hmm. uh, the industry. Um, what are some of the things that you think would internally or what would be some of the big things that would help change what we're doing here? Like what can people that are listening to this do I, what what just basically like what what can we do uh, in this conversation to try and spark a change in this industry? I think from a labor standpoint, right? There's I think a lot of things a lot of people want done is number one, first off, fair payment, right? For when you complete your work, you're paid fairly and you're paid on time. On time, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are. I think in Germany, there's a Facebook page called Pay Us Pixamondo, and there are German artists who are freelancers there who constantly don't get paid by Pixamondo in Germany. Why is that happening? I don't know why, right? So you have artists in a lot of situations who work for mid-level facilities who don't get paid correctly, or they're being paid in a, under an illegal situation where they're being misclassified, right? They're being misclassified as independent contractors so the employer can avoid some sort of payroll taxes, right? Even though this is illegal, nobody speaks out about it because they're afraid of being blacklisted, you know, so there's a there's an issue where they want to be paid as actual employees. Um, when you go forward uh, with other labor issues, it is we have a lot of long hours where people are being working long hours, but they're not being paid overtime, right? So there's an issue of well, people want to be paid overtime after 40 hours, after eight hours a day, and also people want maybe some sort of mechanism that allows for a limit to the number of hours they work, right? I mean, if you're working beyond 60 hours a week, I mean, how productive are you? I always hear routinely at Weta Digital, amazing work that they do, but they're working sometimes 60 to 90 hours a week on these projects, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so from the labor standpoint, you have that issue. Um, us, now here in the United States, you know, we have the issue of health insurance because of our health insurance is tied to over employers. A lot of the artists, since they work on project to project, they're not getting health insurance in between gigs. So that's yeah. sort of why there's a union. So those are sort of the labor issues I've touched upon. There are a lot more I can talk about. But then there are also vendor issues where if a vendor like, for example, Rhythm and Hughes is booked to work on a project, right? And it's sort of a make me a tiger film. And then, okay, they make a tiger for $5 million. Okay, they continue working on that. that well, that doesn't look like a tiger. They keep, the, the studios will keep changing their minds. The director will keep changing their minds. So many iterations. You'll go through hundreds of iterations. And they're still paying the same price. 
And so you're yeah, that's that fit, was right? that was super fucked business yeah. wise. It was fucked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. business wise. I mean, it was fear based. So, it was like yeah. So for you know when you have these bidding situations where you're just paying a fixed price and there's very little room to have change orders, right? For the vendors, they need a way to sort of have a standard where they can go ahead and you know charge for a change order or pay as you go. What they call cost plus, right? When you're building a building, for example, and you, Let's say you agree to the blueprint and it costs you $10 million to build this building. And then you go and say like, you know what, instead of five rooms, I want six rooms. I want seven floors. Okay, well, that's a huge change. And so the construction company is going to like, we have to rebid this, right? So yeah. you're going to pay for those changes. And so that's sort of the cost plus model that's needed in the film industry and, the, and for these vendors. And for the vendors, they also will work on a project and guess what? Oh, such and such broke his leg or in the incredibly, incredibly tough situation, you know, fast and furious uh, seven where uh, Paul Walker died okay so that's a huge delay in the production well the visual effects company hired all these people they've got to keep them on okay well what are they supposed to do if the project gets pulled back or there are huge delays they've got to be paid for that and so those are some of the things that if those can be solved and another big one is profit sharing with the vendors for example they go ahead and they if I'm an actor on a film right sure I'm I'm going to get a portion of the profits from those films, right? I'm going to get the back end. Like Robert Jelly Jr. and stuff. Yeah, and who's the biggest star of these films? Is it really actors now these days? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the visual effects. Yeah, yeah, Ross is bringing that up because, yeah, it's true. You you just look at the what you know Life of Pi is without all these amazing visual effects. I thought it was also really funny how like the DOP got an award. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like come on. it was all green screen. You know? Yeah, get the fuck out of here with yeah. that shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, are you serious? I mean, that's more or less the visual effects. Um, the, it's, go ahead. No, it's just it, it's interesting. I, I just recently, um, I, I I just I like good films. I don't like films necessarily because they have great visual effects anymore. Yeah. I just I just like a really good story, and and uh, I really appreciate when people put the craft in, no matter what it is. Uh, sure. If they're, I mean, I just recently watched Nightcrawler. I just absolutely loved the film. I thought it was so much fun, and it was it was mostly just really amazing acting and great script, like great sure. dialogue and really yeah. great, like really witty and smart. And it didn't have like spaceships and all that kind of stuff and visual effects necessarily. I, I know there was in some of the stunts and all that kind of stuff yeah. that had to have been, but um, but at the same time, there are films that have been global block, you know, blockbusters like Transformers. Where come on, it's not about the story, it's not about sure. the acting, it's just all about the twenty visual minutes effects, of you know? visual effects. Yeah, yeah, to, you know, I'm, I watch those films in like twenty minutes because I just go and watch the scenes. Yeah, you just want to see the mangled metal that's like, you know, I'm oh, saying it's beautiful. You know, it's yeah. beautiful. You yeah, know, I have but, friends that work on it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's just like ridiculous stuff. It's like overload. And, and that's where visual effects for the blockbuster film is the spectacle. Is the spectacle. Mm -hmm. And it is unfortunately the secret sauce. And right now we're not charging right. We're not charging correctly for it. Sure. And so those are some of the solutions. And so me and Scott Ross, we finally got together because we were saying, how do we change them? My angle was you got to bring the studios to the table. I thought a labor union would be best because guess what? Every three years, the labor unions negotiate a deal with the six studios. Okay, And that's something I thought would be the answer. Unfortunately, artists weren't interested in that. Scott Ross's angle was, okay, my way to bring them to the table and negotiate is have a trade organization that represents all the vendors. right? And they would go ahead and implement standards. For example, 
you know, uh, every studio would agree to a standard for like change orders and a standard contract, and that would allow for visual effects companies to be a bit more profitable. Because right now, a lot of the margins for them, they're losing, I think, twenty-five to ten million dollars a year. You know, doing these big projects. So even though they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, a lot of people are surprised to learn that many of these visual effects companies, the reason they go out of business is because the margins are very slim. Yeah. So Scott Ross wasn't able to get all the vendors to come to the table, right, and agree to that. So here we were last year, and we finally met. You know, uh, Scott. You know, I, even though I was criticizing him, I was still anonymous. I finally came out and I wanted to meet with him, and I met with a few other people who have been interested in trying to fix the industry. And we decided to make a, a trade organization called Adapt, and we call it the Association of Digital Artists, Professionals, and Technicians. And you can visit our website at adaptvfx.org. And what we've been doing instead is something that I've been writing about is that another angle, another approach here is that these studios are heavily dependent on huge government subsidies. Yeah, because so, it's 60% tax cut kind of stuff that happens. Yeah. So a lot of people think it's a tax cut where, okay, well, they're taxable. Like, for example, if I do a project in, in Canada and I do, let's say, a $10 million project, and let's say whatever taxes I'm, I have to pay, they'll reduce my taxes by 60%. Mm. That's, not what, that's not what's happening. They're paying essentially 60% oh, of the labor costs. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. you're essentially, this is a subsidy essentially where, you know, if you have a $10 million worth of visual effects labor that you're doing in Canada, you will get essentially a $6 million check effectively from the government, you know, for that work. And so that's huge. That's a huge you know, they're doing that in Louisiana and stuff too. Yeah, they're, they're doing that with uh, after Katrina, and we're doing Ender's Game out there for that yeah. reason. Yeah, Ender's the, Game. So they got thirty percent back on, across all the costs, right? and it helps us. I think that helped the project necessarily to yeah, allow for more more work or different people are hiring more stuff or sure. to, to you know like oh now we have thirty percent now we can afford like this shot. You know? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, though, is that these subsidies, what I've written about, is that there are other industries that have gone through this problem where, you know, let's say your competitor is able to be located in, let's say, a country that offers huge subsidies, and they're willing to, let's say, undercut your prices. Because if you're, let's say, a facility in Los Angeles, and you're all you can do to break even on this project, given the cost, is $10 million, and they can just take that project and move it to... Canada and then get a six million dollar rebate, which makes it effectively four million dollars as yeah, a cost. You can't, af- you can't afford to underbid that, so you're eventually going to go out of business. Out of business, so, yeah. So all these industries, lumber and everything, they've gone through these problems before. It's very similar. And what have they done is that, well, you probably have experienced this if you travel overseas. Is if you take two bottles or three bottles of liquor and you try to bring it in or try to import it in the United States, you have to pay a duty essentially. And that duty is meant to sort of counteract the effect of the subsidized price uh, that they're receiving in that country. Mm. And so this has been a standard in the United States. And so our thinking was, is that if we can somehow challenge that within the court system of the United States, that that would somehow bring, uh, that would somehow bring the studios to the table. And so we were trying that within the last year, and surprisingly, it has been initially sort of working in the sense that I have been the only visual effects professional in the industry who has been able to garner the attention of the MPAA five times in the media. And uh, the law firm that we have hired that's uh, representing us in the uh, in Washington, D.C., they can actually, they've had told me this privately, that there have been two major U.S. studios that are so concerned 
about our efforts that they've actually hired a, their own legal counsel to challenge us when we do go to court, wow. if and we do. So good for you the, guys, or good for you personally. <laughs> well, it's great for us, but right now, so we've went ahead and you know we've created sort of what I think is the roadmap for stability in the industry. We've got ourselves a vehicle with our law firm here, and what we really need now is just gas. You know, we just need everybody to chip in. And so right now, I've been focused in the last year. I've been flying out to Vancouver. I've been flying out to New York. I've been flying out to San Francisco to really just lobby a lot of visual effects artists to say, hey, look, we should be doing this because if I, am, if I can pose enough of a threat to take away those subsidies that they're dependent on, I bring the studios to the table, and then we can somehow negotiate a collective bargaining agreement. And mm. so... That's where the nuts and bolts of things, you know, it becomes a very serious issue. Whereas a lot of artists, I think they sort of want an easy one-step way of doing things where they just say like, well, let's just walk out on, let's just have a global walkout. That won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen, right? No. Yeah, who's going to, I mean, everybody's going to wait for the other guy to walk out and say, okay, we'll do that project for them instead, you know? So yes. it's not going to happen. And so even I if it does, it won't, it won't, it won't do what it needs to do. Exactly. Who's going to negotiate with the studios? Like, yeah, okay, that's what you out. really need. Yeah. Yeah. So you need somebody to negotiate on that end. And so I actually did the due diligence over the last four years. You know, I've flown out to Washington, D.C., and this was all on my own dime on my wow. free time. You know, Damn, I talked to, you know, I, I talked to these lawyers and I said, hey, what's the answer here? And this, I think, is the most viable option because you're never going to get everybody across the board to agree. You know, another, another idea thrown out there is let's have a global union. Okay. Well, Okay, let's have a global union. Who do we? We'd have to hire a ton of lawyers, right, to negotiate with the studios and come up with everybody agreeing and willing to walk out based off of these ideas. And how do we get everybody to agree? Yeah. And it, and in a country like New Zealand, right, where Peter Jackson himself, he's so powerful there in New Zealand that in the last run when they were trying to get the Hobbit, he got the country to change the constitution for him so that way his workers it was illegal to unionize there. So. You know, he's he's jumped ahead of everybody there. And so there we have no legal ability to unionize the workers there. And so what happens there? And so that's sort of where we've come is that we've come full circle here. Everybody's like, okay, we've tried everything. We've tried making our own films. We've tried, you know, doing the Kickstarter things. There's really, you know, we'll, we'll try forming our own visual effects companies, but that still doesn't solve the problem of the fact that, look, the studios are eventually going to pit you against the other vendors and get you to underbid in order to stay in business. And so ultimately you're going to see uh, a collapse that's happening here in Los Angeles, but I think we'll ultimately hit the UK and Canada. Sure. Yeah, you because they'll just switch, you know? Yeah, they'll just switch. And then also, you know, those governments aren't going to be able to continue giving away hundreds of millions of dollars to subsidize the industry there. I mean, that happened in New Mexico. That happened in Florida. Sony Pictures Imageworks tried to move to New Mexico to compete with the subsidies in the UK, and they ended up closing down because they had to go to the uh, Canada instead because they offer sixty percent there. So yeah. it's a huge problem. So that's sort of my quick gist of what the answer is. I mean, obviously, you can go to our website to read more. Adapt the effects. Adapt, yeah. yeah, and so that's uh, what we've been working on. Yeah, we'll definitely have a link to it um, in the podcast um, in the link section, as everybody knows, so you can check it out. And yeah, I'm curious more about what. So, what can I do personally to help with this kind of stuff, or is there something I could do? Um, well, what, adapt. Adapt is open to. I think honestly, even if let's say you're reluctant to adapt uh, to donate to adapt or anything like that, I think another thing you do is just 
hey, spread the word, you know, talk to people. You know, I think a lot of people have the headphones on. They're just looking at, at their monitor screen and not really paying attention to the issues that are happening out there. They're not thinking long-term. Sure. Well, it's, 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 it's a lot of pressure. It's, yeah. And it's, not, it's like, dude, all I want to do is go make cool images. Why do I have to deal with this fucking, like, yeah. trade organization and all that yeah. stuff? Like, why do I got to get involved with that? But it's also because, like, do you value your quality of life, you know? Like, you know, how much do you value it, you know? and. I, I've said, you know, we talk about sort of the personal issues that have affected the business, the overall business, you know, we talk about our love for the industry. I think another thing that is a big problem is we also suffer from what I call, I mean, for better or for worse, I guess I call it the freight train complex, where I could be, you could, you're standing on some train tracks right now, and I'm warning this person, I'm like, hey, you need to get off these train tracks, because the buddy, the guy down there who was in Los Angeles, he got hit by a train that was on these same train tracks, right? And he was standing there and he just didn't care. And all of a sudden, this person just standing there saying, yeah, 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 whatever, I'm not going to listen to you. And then they get hit by that train and all of a sudden, they become the evangelist of like, wow, we got to stop people from being hit by this train, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the industry that we're working in right now where everybody in Los Angeles didn't really care about unionization. They didn't care about trying to fix the problems. And then to their surprise, the whole industry collapsed almost in less than a few months, right? It collapsed. And now they're trying, they have to move out to other places. They have to move out to the UK. They're spending all this money. And now they're trying to warn their friends in Canada and the UK saying, hey, we've been screwed by these same studios. We got to do get together and do something about this. And the UK artists and the Canada artists and the New Zealand artists like, you know, it's not my problem or you need to do all these things that make me happy, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're not seeing it and then soon eventually they're going to get hit. There are artists in the UK that are now sort of in a situation where they have to move to Canada and they're like, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was fine here in the UK. The government here is paying 25% of my salary. Well, it turns out Canada will pay 60% and the studios are like, I can get a better deal. And so they're going to force you to move over there. And so now you're starting to see everybody's in the same boat. And I think once everybody's in the same boat, then something might get done. But, you know, it's really hard to say. It's really hard to convince a lot of artists. So the more word that gets spread about this, the merrier. And I'm always willing to speak with people, whether it's over a bar at a, you know, just getting a beer or on a podcast like this, you know, just to spread the word. Yeah, I think it helps. I think yeah. when we, when you, you, everything, I, I, like I said, I like to distill things down to the, the, the core elements. And I think what it's, what we, the main thing of all this stuff is to, is to save money, really, you know, or to pinch as much out, out of a project as you can, um, profit wise or cost wise. And, yeah, that's a really challenging thing, you know. It's really, yeah. I think, I always think that it's, I, and I bring this up, uh, often is, is, it's it's there's a really weird thing that happens in art and creativity when you add in uh passion and emotion i guess right you put passion and emotion but then you put the black and white of monetary gain and value exactly money when you put money involved um it's 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 almost like oil and water yeah well it's it's interesting you mentioned that because when i was a kid and my parents right i mean they were traditional asian parents and they said daniel you have to be an engineer lawyer or doctor (laughs) they always do that yeah (laughs) they always do that and and my way out of it was like well i'll just minor in computer science and kind of do my art thing right Mm. and the reason why i wanted to work in the arts was because i felt like that was sort of that refuge from business yeah you know a lot of us came to the creative industry the visual effects industry because we thought it was a great way to just have a career and not have to deal with the monetary issues in the industry 
you know? Sure. So that's, it's that's, opposite that's, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's Look like how much time and energy you've put into yeah, just in general, the business side no, of things. Yeah. There's no, no escaping that. And it's really sad because, you know, this is an industry that should be thriving when you consider the fact that so many technical people and so many artistic people are coming together to make an incredible product that's wildly popular. You'd figure there'd be a better way for them, you know? There's this really great link. I'll make sure I post it up in this thing, and I'll send it to you. It's it's uh, my my friend Alistair sent it to me. Uh, Steve Jobs. He, he uh, it's an old interview of his, and it's an interesting one. He kind of breaks down like why companies fail, and he said, for me, it was he was saying that what happens is they kind of don't harness and cherish and and grow the original intention. Like what happens is it becomes too big, bigger than itself, and mm. it destroys itself from the outside in, and I think, or from the inside out. And I think w why that happens is, is for some reason there's it's almost natural for humans. Na uh. It's a it's a natural human trait that we get from years of evolution. I think, and I think when you can fight against those natural urges. Mm -hmm. That's really when we become, we step into like this next level of consciousness. And I think when he mentions this thing, it's a really interesting. It's only like a minute and a half in yeah. interview, but he really articulates it well. He uses like Xerox at the time as to why they failed, and and it's almost like you can kind of look at Apple now with him being gone, and you can almost see them like what they're doing now, like how yeah, it's almost like they're missing that thing. And and that's why I think Pixar is one of these companies that. I'm not sure where they're at now, but they've managed to make unbelievably entertaining and fun films for ah. for years. Uh, you know, you got Monsters Inc. and Wall-E and The Incredibles yeah. and Finding Nemo. I mean, these are just brilliant, fun, yeah. entertaining projects. You know, and it, like, and I think that as a company, they've shown the world that you you can make great things and it's possible. And you just have to, you know, like ideas don't come from anywhere. You have to harness them. You have to. You just have to grow them, allow yeah. them to flourish. And, and, and those are all about people. You know, we talked about people. People are the most important thing. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, though. I think something I'd like to add to that, and I think, you know, obviously uh, just internally in the industry what's been going on is uh, I think it's along that saying of uh, in Batman, I think, where they say you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain, right? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. in Steve Jobs' case and even Pixar's case, I think if you've been reading some of the posts that I've written about it, is that, yeah, Steve Jobs you know, and Ed Catmull and all those people involved in Pixar, they presented this image of like treat your workers well, treat it's all about the art, it's all about creating great stories. But on sure. the business end of things, it turns out uh, you've probably read about the wage collusion that's been going on. It's one of the biggest cases out there. The Justice Department actually turned out Steve Jobs had uh, uh, oh, yeah. an agreement, you know, between all these between all these uh, employers essentially that made it you know, uh, conducive for them to make a lot of money, but they made it sure that no one else was offered competitive offers or anything like that. So he was essentially colluding against them at the same time, and so that's been sort of the sort of the uh, the sting uh, behind uh, Steve Jobs' quotes. When you think about all the good things he said, was that sure. you know, behind the scenes he was actually working against us, and that's the way business is: is that people that will is, present yeah. you. You know, people will present you. It's like, look at this industry; it's so beautiful, it's so awesome. Don't you have? <laughs> I mean, it's true at Disney, all my friends at Disney, you know, even at DreamWorks, it's like Stepford, you know, you're eating the cookies, you're eating all the free food, everybody's having parties and stuff, but you knew sure. underneath it all, it was all about business. And if you weren't in line, you were out, you know, and so yeah. you watch out for that, you know, so that you should, 
<laughs> you should watch the documentary Print the Legends about the 3D printing enterprise and stuff. It's a very oh. interesting thing. It's very, I know you'll enjoy it because it's yeah, a lot of these things. There's also like the comedian Bill Burr. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, I he's, haven't heard of him, no. He's fucking hilarious. Like okay. he does a he does a bit about Steve Jobs. It's so fucking funny. Like okay. he, he's basically just like bringing Steve Jobs back to earth with the rest of humanity basically. And he's like, he, he was like, you know, how, how dare people relate him to Muhammad Ali? I mean, what the fuck? Like, it's, it's so yeah. funny. And he was just like saying like, people were jumping out of buildings and then just to leave the, to have to build more iPhones and they had yeah. a trampoline and they bounce them right back in there. And <laughs> so, it's super fucked up, but it was, it's, it's, it's true. And, and I think, um, that's what I'm saying is, and that's what worries me internally as a person of wanting to create bigger things is, is I got to be cautious about like at what point in your life do you sacrifice your soul and yourself and your intention to create something yeah. that you originally wanted to do. And I think that's a very risky thing. And I, and, 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 and I think you'll enjoy it and you'll see it. And those are, yeah. that are listening, watch print the legend. It's on Netflix. Um, I, I would love to watch it. I think if you could even post a link to even the, the, um, Mr. Burr's, uh, uh, Oh yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you all these, all three yeah. of these things. I'll send you the, 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 the Steve jobs interview, the Bill Burr, and then the print the legend. Cause these are for me that they're, they're really great intellectual studies on perception mm -hmm. of what things, but what I think what happens is the intention of what you originally started with, Mm. gets delineated or, or, or transfixed and, and changes and, and, and forms yeah. into something yeah. completely different. And, and, uh, you know, everybody's judging, right. You know, yeah. like it, when you're loved and hated at the same time, you're doing something right. I guess. Yeah. You're you doing know, something like, right. That is true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, cause there's a great example of that. Right. I mean, I think he, even in his admission, when the Phantom Menace came out, there was a one point, I think somebody was doing a critique on him and, uh, George Lucas just thought, he just said, I gone too far. You know, I, I, I went outside the realm of what I was planning and what I intended. Yes. And I think a lot of people point that out of sort of what happened with George Lucas, but I don't think George Lucas feels bad about it at all. I mean, he's made well, billions just, of dollars, you know? It's, sure, uh, you never yeah. know. I mean, I don't know him personally. I don't know what he really feels, you know, and, and, and probably nobody in this world does except maybe a close few. Mm -hmm. That's what another real, real big problem is we think of fact as being like spoken word through fucking the telephone effect. It's like, it's really challenging to distill things down to exactly what it is. It's, exactly. I had that problem when I was younger and I was learning about Native Americans in school, and and then my mom's like, you know, don't believe all that shit because a lot of it's just like authors changing the history, and I, and I was like, really? I thought this was real, and yeah. so I would I, I began to research and, and learn about Native American culture, and and dude, I was disgusted by it because oh, yeah. the fact behind things, and it's also those are all different different opinions and stuff, so it's really really challenging unless you have the facts right in front of you. Or you, knew, or you knew Steve Jobs every day and he said, you know what, he did have good intentions. He was just mm -hmm. kind of, he was fucked. He was stuck in this machine that he yeah. had created and it just destroyed everything. You know, it's like, it's yeah. challenging, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of the lesson I learned in life. And I, when I came out of college, if you saw my car, I actually have this engraved on my license plate, around my license plate, is between the act and the idea, a whole kingdom lies. Between the idea that you're presented of something and what's actually happening, there's a whole kingdom and disparity that lies between the two. And so that's something I've certainly learned in the visual effects industry is that the idea is that it's this great industry, happy people working on creative projects, working on the next Avengers or whatever. 
But in actuality, it's actually a very, very difficult and challenging industry and really disappointing industry to work in. I mean, I'm so disappointed with so many things that have happened in the industry, you know, rhythm and hues going down, digital domain, Sony Pictures Imageworks leaving, you know, and who knows what's going to happen with Weta, you know, once the Hobbit films are done. I know, I always say that. I'm like, dude, no wonder they're making so many long Hobbits into one (laughs) film and they're like, let's stretch the Hobbit out, you know, like. It out, you know. Peter Jackson, he has signaled his intent. His intent is to essentially retire and he's going to maybe make some small films. But after that, what's going to keep Weta Digital going? We don't know. I mean, it's the same thing with George Lucas when he, he left Lucasfilm. You know, it's okay, yeah. he sold it off to Disney, but what's going to happen with Industrial Light and Magic? You know, Disney has never had a good track record with keeping uh, visual effects companies open. And, you know, who knows? Will they, they collapsed still? a ton of that stuff, I think, too. You know, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of layoffs, I think, um, with all the Clone Wars and all that stuff, or the video game or something like that. I remember hearing oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, too. yeah. So when, yeah. when they took over, when Disney Disney took over. I mean, it seemed oh, like fuck this. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it seems like Industrial Light Magic has got a lot of work going on right now. But for their counterparts at uh, what is it, the Lucas? Uh, what is it, the Lucas Arts? Uh, the game, the games part portion was closed mm-hmm. down essentially. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it affected I mean, a lot of people, and they were already kind of knee deep in a project. I think it was like something around Boba Fett or something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's. But that's just it. You know, I was also thinking when you were talking about this stuff, I was thinking of when I go to Disneyland. I don't really like Disneyland all that much because it's crazy for me. Yeah. Maybe if there's not a lot of people, but you go to Disneyland and it's all smoke and mirrors. Like look at all this awesome oh, stuff and it's so cool. Absolutely. And 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 when you get stuck in the muse, it can be a lot of fun. It can be oh, yeah. totally captivating. It's fun. But then you look at a worker and he's grabbing the trash and he looks all disheveled and upset, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they're underneath all this shit, even the coolest stuff of Disneyland, there's a dark side to it. You know? Like, oh yeah. And I, and, and what, what it tells me is that as humans, like we, it's just a really weird thing that we have. We haven't figured out how to make actual total bliss without having like a harmful after effect in a sense. It's like taking drugs, I suppose, you know, like yeah, you take too yeah. much drugs, you can, you can misplace reality, yeah, you know? I mean- you know, there's that there's that effect of you know, and even for you know, I get this a lot where sometimes we talk about the issues in the industry, and I've had people tell me this like, you know, I don't know why you complain so much about the visual effects industry. I mean, look, you should be lucky you have a job. I mean, there are kids in Africa starving, and I'm like, oh come oh. on, yeah, it's like oh yeah. come on, really, it's go, like go fuck yourself when you say that <laughs> stuff. It's so it, frustrating. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because that 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 point comes across a lot. Where like you know, you need to make sure that don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't bite the hand that feeds you because, you know what, it's worse off for somebody else out there. And we actually joke about this. Uh, when I worked at Digital Domain, you know, we talked about how things, how bad things were. And then, you know, there was always somebody that compared it to like, well, you could be a kid in Africa starving. And I said like, you know what? They always use Africa too. What's the deal? Yeah, yeah what's the deal with that? There's I, kids in Detroit that are fucking <laughs> suffering. I mean, get, get the hell out of here with that shit. Yeah, I never <laughs> understood that. And we, we always came down to like, we our joke and our meme for that was like, you know, if something bad happened, you're like, well, it's better than being raped in prison, right? You know, you could be <laughs> raped in prison because it's like, the, you know, I don't know what kind of fallacy that is, but you could look point to any problem that is solvable, should be solved, and say, you know what, we shouldn't solve that because there's somebody yeah. out there in some Thank other you. that's got it much worse. It's like, there's no, no. That's, not a, that's not a way to solve problems, you know? And that I said, isn't. You know, it's, you know, it, it's, look, we have a solvable that's complacency. Problem. That's, yep. that's, that's just staying still and being stagnant. That's not a way of doing things. That's stupid. That's like illogical. I can't stand that shit. I used to think that too. I used to think like, well, 
this sucks, but like it's better than this. I think there's a moment in your life, and there's there you should constantly be reminded of being thankful. Of course, oh, I think that's essential to being happy. Absolutely, okay. absolutely, it keeps you going, right? Yes, you must understand that somebody else out there always has it worse, even if you're getting ass fucked in prison. Like there's somebody out there with AIDS and getting punched in the face and you know like whatever <laughs> i don't know if horrible I'm getting, experience if i'm getting ass fucking i'm like well somebody else has got it worse than me. <laughs> you're not thinking that at the time but you know you know what i'm saying it, there there are always worst case scenarios and then you're dead you know uh, it's, and it's funny i mean but i think the thing is that's pointing out apathy right there and sure sure what keeps us out of apathy what keeps me out of apathy i will tell you i'm one of the most cynical people in the world out there and what keeps me from falling into apathy is that look you know what i'm going to do my best to solve some sort of problem that goes beyond me right it's when yeah. you think about yourself you know it's like oh you know if i I mean, it's as little as like, hey, I see some trash on the floor. I'm going to pick it up. Maybe I'm that kind of sappy guy where I'm like, you know, I'm one of those guys. I'm like, hey, I see something wrong. I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to do my best to fix it. That's all I can do, right? And so I think if we think with that mentality a bit more, things will get better. But, you know, for a lot of people in the industry, it, it's tough, man, because they've seen the worst of it and they're very cynical, very apathetic. And it's almost like they're waiting for the next bad thing to happen. I had a debate with, somebody I knew very well in the industry and he actually said this he said I've grown to have a deep love for chaos and I just thought like how do I convince anybody to join me and help fix his problems when you actually welcome the fact that bad things are going to happen to you that is seriously a lot of people have that mentality in the industry yeah. that's sort of why I left you know like a shock homes thing or something yeah it's almost like a you know was it the um, Stockholm syndrome you know of like yeah, Stockholm you're, just, syndrome, yeah. you're just used to you're just used to this bad situation and you actually welcome it you know you yeah. like yeah. you know it's just like, like the pain and the punishment yeah. of it it, it also is a jock-like mentality. You know, I used to work, I used to play in football and we'd go out there and we'd bust our legs up and we'd, you know, sure. we're, we're injured and we're like, no, man, I'm going to keep going out there on the football field. And then you're, <laughs> you're proud of the fact that you, you hurt yourself, you show those scars, you know? And so that's something that's been a big problem is that you sort of have that apathy. You have this deep found love for chaos and you have this sort of jock-like mentality where you're proud of the fact that you're getting emotionally and you know financially scarred by this, all for an industry that you love so much. Just so you know, just show off that you can tell that you you know I worked on the next Avengers, and you know what, the studios are more than smiling and happy about that because they're making a killing in the amount of money that they're making from this. It's it's really sure. sad, you know. So. Yeah, it's business stuff. I think also um, being transparent about stuff really helps. And you know, oh, yeah. just as, yeah. as you know, the the internet and all that kind of stuff, the resources that allows us to to have is is really great. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just I, I had a senior producer tell me this. She um she told me this. She said, even if you're unsuccessful in what you do, Daniel, you've exposed so much of the dirty side of the industry. You've made it dirty. She said, and I was like, oh, I kind of felt bad. She goes. But it's a good way. It's a good thing. I think people need to see that. Sometimes people need to see that mirror in front of them and say, "Look at what you did to yourself." You know, look at what you're doing to yourself and everybody else around you. And you know, I think that's really sort of unfortunately what VFX Older that blog has turned out to be is sort of this ongoing critique of the industry where people just they really don't want to read the blog, but they know they have to read it. You know, it's sort of bad medicine for them. You know. Sure, it's just exposing you know the realities yeah. of the, the behind the curtain and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but it was, 
This has been an awesome talk, man. I really appreciate it. I think yeah, this is. I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be a, uh, somewhat enlightening, and I and I tried. I I did my best to make sure that we exposed the good and bad. I hopefully it's not like we're just preaching and talking shit about anybody because didn't want to make sure. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, hopefully we didn't. So I, I you know I just hope for anybody who's a listener who let's say doesn't work in the visual effects industry but works in the creative industry gets a better idea of like look these issues happening in the visual effects industry they all have parallel effects to anybody who's working in the creative industry about you know just offering the fair price of your services and just you know taking better pride in the industry that you work in you know and sure. I'm I'm available on Twitter you can find me at, at VFX Soldier uh, I'd be more than happy to discuss with people uh, I mean I'm pretty sure there might be a comment section to this podcast I'd be more than happy to just answer any questions of people in general you know I'm always interested in talking about the industry it's always great to just reflect on the last 10 years of the industry for me and just kind of talk to people about it you know that's awesome what a yeah. great resource and for somebody to do that and I'll yeah. definitely try and make sure that we get you out there to you know discuss these things and bring them up I think that there might be something coming up with doing a an open debate system um, publicly for people to propose questions and ideas and concepts out Absolutely. in the air and I think and that would be really great yeah I, and even I, if we just do it here it would be awesome and even if there's somebody out there who just ah, there's look there's people out there that absolutely disagree with me on this I've always sure. welcomed I mean on my on my blog I do not delete comments at all if you want to say vfx soldier you're a motherfucker you're allowed to say that on my blog right anonymously you know so if but if somebody wants to have let's say a podcast with me where they debate me one-on-one -on, -one on the issues i mean i would love to do that you know i've always been willing to do that i flew out to vancouver a lot of people don't like me out there and i said hey who wants to talk <laughs> you know it's always been something i've been open to you know to talk about that so that's you know, good and that's good tough. for you and, and 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 i wish we had more people um, active in this kind of stuff and, and I'm hoping that this little step towards getting the listeners and, and fans of the Collective Podcast aware of what you're talking about if they weren't already I think it's, I hope it helps, I hope that you, whoever's listening out there that is getting more in touch with this kind of stuff and aware of it, I hope that maybe you can be out there and consider doing something of your own, you know, even if it's a selfish act for your own self which is adjusting a contract that helps, you know, like giving yourself somewhat of value is going to help the rest of us, you know? So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important. So, yeah. but, but dude, thank you so much. And, and congratulations to everything. And, and, yeah. and, and thank you again for doing what you're doing. I think it's yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah. Appreciate and ask, ask just on uh, behalf of the industry. Thank you for what you do. You know, it's very rare to see, you know, you've definitely hit probably the gold standard of where I think every artist wants to be out there. And it's very rare for somebody to come back and say, Hey, you know what? I want to help everybody else out. You know? So, uh, just on behalf of the visual effects industry, I just really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me and Scott Ross. I think there are a lot of people in the industry that I, I think would love to speak with you more on your podcast. I think it's a great service to everybody in the industry. Oh man, I'm just, I'm just I'm lucky to be able to do it. So I'm just all right. Yeah, it's it's a little thing that I can do. I really appreciate it. So yeah, all thank right. you. Cool. Well, well, we'll have a link to all your stuff and make sure that if you're listening, you know, if you want to have an active role, there you go. You send an invite. So and maybe we'll have Daniel back on. Maybe we can get some other people on and maybe have a nice debate going on so we can kind of articulate things and yeah, maybe absolutely. Get things pushed forward and kind of come up with some better concepts. So. But change, you know, like if anything, it's it's an individual thing. So if you're listening to this, make sure that you are trying to be a part of the change for the better of not only yourself, but for the rest of us, because we're all along from the same ride, you know? So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Very much. 
Appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Have a great day, man. You too. Ciao. That does it for this week's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening in. You can get a link to Daniel's work and everything that he's been about for the past couple years uh, in the show notes at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 82. Uh, you can also find our Facebook and Twitter links and everything on the and iTunes on the collectivepodcast.com. If you are curious about hearing from a specific person or have specific questions, this is the best resource for you to use. Um, it's going to be either Twitter or Facebook because we often post who we're going to be having on and also any questions that you guys might have. So um, it's a great resource. So if you want to get active and more involved in the podcast and have some more direct uh, involvement, feel free to use that. It's all at thecollectivepodcast.com. Thank you again for everybody for listening in. And thank you, Daniel, again. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day.